ओके नमस्ते सो फर्स्ट स्पीकिंग अबाउट द कॉज बिफोर वी टच अपॉन पेन एवरीथिंग दैट इज देयर दैट एग्जिस्ट इन द यूनिवर्स ऑल काइंड ऑफ एक्सपीरियंसिस विल हैव causes at three different levels the first which we all are largely conversant with is the immediate cause and then there is a whole range of what can be called as intermediate causes and the third is the ultimate cause so immediate cause is something which is inbuilt in the very fabric of a being and because of its constitution impacts give rise to various sensations pain and pleasure now i'm focusing mainly on pain it could equally be joy and sorrow or any of these so it's inbuilt in the physical system in the physical man which includes our surface personality and especially when it comes to the body allopathic science is very good at picking up the immediate causes and give instant relief it has its place an important place in case of an emergency but then there is behind it a whole range of intermediate causes which needs to be addressed if we do not want that particular pain not ultimate pain but that particular pain not to return again and again take the example of a physical pain we have noticed that uh, it's a common experience people have that if they are hurt at a place there is a tendency or a proclivity to get hurt at the same place strangely it applies not only to the physical things but also to psychological things as if there is something which is being told to us something which is being explained to us a vulnerable spot is being revealed to us a point of unconsciousness that takes the impact of the forces it's not ready for and then it suffers it applies to the body i i know of an individual who used to get fracture on the same day he would fall and get fracture it was in the ashram so twice it had happened and very old wonderful uh, sadhak very good human being and one day he tells me that uh, i don't know i have this every year so i said it's only two years why do you foresee that it'll happen every year but he said no it happens and i don't know and sure enough on that day he again had a fall and fractured his uh, femur unfortunately this time he 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 couldn't make it he couldn't survive it was a very bad fracture he was quite an elderly person as if there is a spot which is vulnerable for whatever reason and there is a formation which attracted so here we see at least two levels of causes one is the immediate cause you fall you have a fracture you have pain so the doctor gives whatever medication he needs to give he does whatever needs to do but what is one of the intermediate cause because intermediate causes are many and intermediate cause one of them is the formation i am going to fall i have fallen and so many times recurrence of illnesses uh, as the mother says the cells have a memory and it needs just a little trigger everything is going well and somebody says how's your uh, i don't want to name the problem <laughs> how's your heart doing everything is fine and if one had a heart attack it triggers a whole set 
am I really fine? Then small little pain, something, and it it takes a, uh, a snowball. So intermediate causes are very many because they are weaving the fabric of our outer life. And these range from the ones that are closest to us in the vital world. A whole lot of forces, the mother speaks about it. Their business, they thrive on it, is to give pain. We see there are human beings also who are wonderful instruments. Uh, wonderful is not the right word. Whose shop runs on giving pain. On inflicting suffering. That's why this prematurely everything is same. It can be so dangerous. They somehow seem to take a very vicarious pleasure, very perverse kind of satisfaction in inflicting injury and pain. Now when it takes the form of human beings, we understand. We try to avoid at best as we can. But then there are forces which push these human beings. And the mother speaks about them as the adverse forces which somehow have mastered the art of giving pain. So what do they do? They see one weak spot. Shubhinda says, how do they work? They, the hostile forces will see one weak spot and they will attack it. And raise a whole mountain around it. So much so that one begins to feel guilty, one begins to feel bad, one begins to feel helpless. So the problem gets compounded million times over and finally one gives up on the one hope that we all must carry is the divine because you know people all kinds of form then they'll first use one particular entry point our vulnerable point and in one word the vulnerable point is the unconscious point of which we are not conscious so that's how they come enter and of course in the beginning we are unconscious about most of our life that's why the mother says first step towards yoga is become conscious become conscious of the motives even of yoga, why one is entering into yoga. So these motives and then many other layers where we are unconscious. We eat unconsciously, we breathe unconsciously, we interact unconsciously, we speak unconsciously, we listen unconsciously. It's as if we are living in a sea of unconsciousness. One of the phrases in the Veda speaks of that. Aprakritem salilam, of course that's an extreme inconscient. But we, our whole life is as if led unconsciously and it has led mystics to say that there and mother speaks of it very interestingly she says there are many who are living but are dead it's called as asana mrityu and there are many whom we consider as dead but are very much living our way of dealing is so different because we are not conscious in those domains and this unconsciousness opens us to all kinds of forces. Why are they allowed in creation before we go still deeper? Well, to make us conscious. It's so simple why they have been allowed. They have been allowed so that we become aware of a vulnerable point. We become aware of a weak spot. We become aware of something that needs to be done. We become aware of a wrong movement. We become aware of a wrong habit. And therefore they are allowed. So these are the forces. And they very often translate it in a human being. How? What do they do? They move the mind towards wrong attitudes, false attitudes. There are certain false attitudes and we can talk about it 
as and when. For, for instance, one false attitude. There is a difference between wrong attitude and a false attitude. False attitude which has no um, bearing on truth of existence. False attitude is, I am separate from everything else. Now see the difference. I am distinct, unique and I have my own unique role to play. Differentiation is divine. But separateness is not divine because it doesn't exist. If I deal with my life as if I am separate from all the rest, it is one of the commonest false attitudes which we take and the result is a lot of suffering, pain, all kinds of things. We can talk about it as we go. So, that's why when we see what does the Buddha recommend, one of the things he recommends is right perception, right understanding. And if we really go to the deep of it, it can be such a curative thing. Right perception, the degree of things. Often the mind will exaggerate, then it leads to all kinds of wrong lifestyles because we are being pushed by these forces. So there is a whole world behind and behind this world there are not only individual forces but collective suggestions. For instance, I may live in an environment which focuses only on the body. Body is all. Now what happens? My whole focus is on the body and I am gradually impoverishing my psychological and my spiritual needs and these aspects of the being and it is so dangerous. There have been civilizations, that's how, that's what is called as an Asuric civilization, what really is Lanka, but a complete focus on the body and the vital as the self. So there are many um, collective things which add to the misery, which stand behind what is an immediate cause. So immediate cause is uh, doctors, but uh, occult causes, hidden causes, call it by whatever means, adverse forces, hostile forces, lifestyle and attitudes, wrong attitudes, a whole world of psychological and other worlds which stands behind this. So it seems, if we know these two, it's enough. Most people will tackle with the immediate cause because they are not bothered about looking into intermediate causes and trying to correct it. Even the body can become conscious, so conscious that it will prevent us from falling. It will give the right intuition, just like in an animal we see. Just when we are about to fall, and there are people who develop it, that the body develops the right instinct, right awareness. And Nolita speaks about it, that how the psychic um, emergence can even help while we are playing football. Because it will help us to prevent these accidents. When we are in a certain atmosphere, one can become aware that this is how these things are coming. Even they can, one can become aware of the adverse forces. One can grow in consciousness to that extent that one can experience something which is far away. There was a time when I would know whether it's a bacterial infection or a viral infection purely by a sensation in the throat and even over the phone. So when somebody would call while he's describing the symptoms, I knew how they are getting translated within me and I would tell, okay, okay, do this. <laughs> he thought it's magic, it's not magic, it's just that one becomes aware. Why? Because consciousness extends. And comes in contact with the other, other person's consciousness. And you have learnt that this is how viral infection gets translated in this area. And this is how the bacterial infection gets translated in this area. There is such a very distinct kind of vibration. 
with corona for example i'm just saying that it's a whole sea of vibrations in which we live which we are not conscious of when it had just started i don't know how many people have experienced it i'm sure many would have may not have noticed you could almost experience not almost at least i was something coming and trying to literally throttle you that was the kind of impact fear it was so such a mass of fear i remember mentally i could say okay there is nothing it's only corona not corona i had given it a new name <laughs> no corona only corona but as i would step out on the streets which were all lonely and everybody had to stay in and especially when i would see the police fellow standing there who is going to question all my credentials i could experience this throttling sensation something doesn't want me to breathe and of course you understand you say old fellow get lost <laughs> and you go through it and then you go through it because you you realize that this is how it is going to attack you there is a very interesting thing that uh, shobindo gives as a remedy since you know we just had a pandemic and now that formation is trying in by various ways another wave another variant etc etc so uh, <laughs> shobindo gives a remedy where he talks of all the three layers he says people were afflicted by flu there was a epidemic of flu flu epidemics keep coming up it's not something uncommon and lot of people die also it's not nothing uncommon so uh, what is uncommon is the mass fear and the mass hype because the media was not op- operating those days now it is operating also the greed to sell vaccines to sell medical product every product you know claimed that it is going to treat corona so all that uh, collective thing was not there so shivinda says yes these uh, these uh, epidemics of influenza occur from time to time there is nothing to fear about all that you need first he tells the causes he says it comes because of three things one is there is a material uh, some vehicle which we may use the word virus or whatever which becomes an instrument for certain forces because crea- in creation they have evolved like that so behind it there is fear this vi- virus carries fear why we call it virus but some material something and along with the fear there is a bad suggestion you are going to fall sick you are going to die and that constitutes the illness so what is the remedy it is take rest stay quiet and then open to the mother see all the three levels he has allowed he has given us a perfect remedy stay quiet of course one can take medicines if there is a problem and somebody wants to take it because we'll come to that why we need still the medicines because there are immediate causes so immediate intermediate and then the ultimate cause so what is the ultimate cause shobindo is one uh, divine <laughs> incarnation or divine being who tell who says the bug stops with the origin otherwise it's karma ultimate cause was your karma too bad you must have uh, given pain to somebody so you are getting pain in this life and there are such fantastic stories about it one of them is the story of rishi mandavya who by mistake he is uh, caught by the king of the day when he had not done anything and he is punished for having stolen without even a trial or it just you know of course nowadays we have a trial but we all know that whether you have a trial or you don't have a trial the justice delivery 
delivered is the same human being who has his own biases. But here the king told, let him stay on a bed of nails, whole night. Next day he thought he would have died, that's how it, it was. And then in the morning, he saw that he is sitting in meditation, he is able to walk and he is able to, you know, do everything and he, all of them are in pain, you know, they are dumbstruck and awestruck and they take him to the king and king says, what happened? He says, he has survived. But he says, I am not interested in you, king. He starts apologizing, I am sorry, I didn't know you are a Rishi. He said, no, no, you are nobody. He says, why? I am the one who ordered this punishment to you. And he says, who are you to order punishment to me? So who is, where are you going? Who else? He says, I am going to find out in the secret providence of things. Yama, who is supposed to be guardian of the law upon earth. Why this has been inflicted upon me? So he goes all the way with this tapasya. And Yama sees him and Yama says, see, I can't help it. Some... Ten years, ten lives back or God knows, hundred lives back, depending on who is sending you the WhatsApp message, you will see all these things. You had pierced a butterfly with a uh, little needle. And therefore, in this life, you had to suffer it. You know, we keep reading those stories. And Mandavya says, what? A boy in his ignorance pierces a butterfly with a needle for which I have to suffer in this life, even though I see her in this way. And he says, with this tapasya, I change this law, with all my tapasya. This Shobindo has written number of meditations on Mandavya. So, what we normally regard as karmic laws, are not necessarily laws of truth. There are laws that exist, unfortunately. And these are the laws which have been created by layers and layers of ignorance. Because of habit, things will happen. Something has been done. And that's why Shubhindu uses the word, you know, when he describes this law, which is such a dreaded law. He says, uh, pain with its lash, joy with its silver bribe, guards the wheels circling immobility. And there are guardians of this law, self-proclaimed guardians. You will see, it. there are plenty of self-proclaimed guardians. They exist in creation. And somehow this memory they retain within themselves. And they, whenever they find someone, like somebody like, you know, there are people who play the victim. They say, you know, uh, somebody in my generation was harmed, therefore I have a right to take it out on your generation. So they act like this. There are unconscious forces in creation. It's not about karmic law. There are forces which are pushing us. Unseen hands which we unconsciously obey. Of course, we have to be unconscious. That's how they operate. But there is a karmic law, of course. But that karmic law is about learning and growing. It's about evolution. But there is something still ulterior, still behind the karmic law. Because karmic law cannot be the origin and end of things. The original karma is the karma of creation. That's how Sri Krishna says, Karma visarga. I am the one who has led creation forth. So, subsequently, we become ignorant, etc., etc., all that story comes later. So, Shurvindo takes the buck back onto the divine, that original cause is always the divine, in all circumstances and in everything. It does not mean divine is inflicting pain, because there are layers and layers which have come in between, why they have come in between, that entire thing he explains, which may not be 
relevant right now because there is the whole process of involution, a certain relative degree of freedom both in the involution and the evolutionary process. No absolute freedom but a relative degree of freedom. And all this is allowed because we grow through all this. So that's a different story altogether. But when we say divine is the ultimate cause, it doesn't mean divine is giving us pain. Often I hear people say, Oh, mother is testing me. She would not be mother if she needed to test us. The divine mother doesn't need to test us. She knows us. And she doesn't condemn us. She changes us. <laughs> That's her business. So then what does it mean that divine is the ultimate cause? So the root of this pain, Shurabindu describes in Savitri, in the subconscious was its secret origin. Dumb subconscious ways, ways from which matter is immersed. So that's where we see the original origin of pain. As creation moves down and down with one veil, another veil, another veil, there comes a time when it believes that it is all alone and there is nothing, nobody. You see what happens? One may be in front of the sun or in front of a person and start putting one layer after another before the eye. Ultimately a thick layer. We will say there is nobody around. Even if the person is still there, same place, that's called the ignorance, which is the origin of all things. That ignorance covers us. That's why we don't know the divine. We don't see the divine. We are not, of course, why it is so, we can talk about it. But to start with, because this degree of separation went to such an extreme that there was created this inconscient. Inconscient is the mother of unconsciousness. It is the mother of falsehood, mother of death, mother of ignorance. And that's where there was the sense of intense pain. What is that pain? Pain of separation. All pain ultimately is the pain of separation. And this pain of separation is born out of the sense of otherness of self. This inconscient, this abyss... Is alone, lonely. That's why, you see, psychological pain, even if everybody is around, one of the common things is, I am alone. And any amount of telling the person, no, no, we are all there with you. No, 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 you are saying this, but you don't. Because one has entered into the abyss or entering into the abyss. And if somebody starts feeling that, it's so dangerous. Then comes helplessness, hopelessness. And you tell the person any amount, you see, divine is always there. You have read mother, you have read Shirovinda, it doesn't work. Abyss is abyss. It doesn't understand that language. The only language that the abyss understands is. Because deep inside there is the one who is all. What awakens within it is hunger. To fill it. It feels alone. So it wants to fill it. We'll see how it applies at every level. It wants to fill. So how does it fill itself? It awakens within it hunger. That's why the Upanishads say, hunger, that is death. And we can see this, this, there is a layer of humanity which lives and thrives with all kinds of hunger. It's physically, it is hungry. It wants to devour everything. If it has one big building, it wants another one, then another one. It has one car, it wants another, another. Hunger, that is death. It's not about whether it leads us to death or not. The fact that there is so much hunger means we are under the domain of the abyss and the inconscient. That means we will be full of fears. 
full of, you know, we may be having everything in the world, still we'll have fear. Look at, you know, Ravana's life. He has everything, still he is full of fear. Fear of what? Fear of a human being apparently. And the way he wants to conquer fear is by finishing that which he is afraid of. Because that's the only way. He is thinking the fear is coming from outside. So if you destroy that outside thing, you will be safe. This is the gospel of Hiranyakashup, original gospel. I should not die of this, I should not die of this. So all the outer conditions, because you are afraid of them. But Prahlad's way is, all is the one self, all is the divine. So this hunger, as it grows, it takes the form of... See, when we, we eat, people often speak about, you know, that they uh, eat, they have no control over eating. You know, because we eat unconsciously. So, it's that state in which we are eating. Very often the stomach is appeased, even the taste is not coming. One of the simple ways to get rid of the problem of taste which leads to... Taste doesn't lead to greed, but supposing it leads to one simple practice every day we can do since we are at it. Whatever you have eaten, the tastiest food, immediately drink water and say samam brahmam. You will see how long it lasts. And then you say, oh my God, I thought it is going to last. Or even if you don't take water, you will see how it is changing. This observation makes us aware that how we have been fooled, but inconscient will keep on. Abyss, hunger, that is death. And this hunger as it comes still further, at the material level, it takes the form of hunger. It takes the form of desires. What are desires trying? They are wanting to once again reconstruct the all. Because deep within that is the origin. Origin is one. Origin is the all. But how do we do it? We want to construct the all by desires or by ideologies which want to finish all other ideologies except one. So I was other day speaking to someone. He said, everybody says God is one. I said, yes, that's correct. But there is a difference between saying God is one and there are different names and saying God is one and the only name that I call is God. It's a very subtle difference. But one leads to extreme degree of acceptance and adaptability and growth. The other leads to extreme degree of intolerance and killings and we know what has happened and continues to happen in the name of God. God is one. Absolutely, everybody says that. But the moment I say God is one, but his name is the only name that by which I call him, then there will be quarrels. So see this degree of separation, where all it can go. But man cannot live by that because the truth of oneness is always behind. It tries to assert itself. In ignorance, it takes the form of desires or ideologies. And the method of desire is devour everything, make it mine. By force, by hook, by crook. And when we go through that process, unfortunately we become more and more pained. Why? Because in the beginning it is, I uh, say it as a joke in Hindi, maybe I'll try in English. <laughs> God asked how much you want. He says, just a little. Just give me a little, God. After some time he comes back, he says, are you happy? No, you know, actually, uh, just a little, little more. After some time, are you happy? He says, you know, um, maybe much more will do. <laughs> so then he comes. 
again are you happy no i want everything so what happens is this path of desire leads to an ever increasing and ever unfulfilling hunger that's why this is painful this is not about morality people turn it into a moral dictum it's about practicality when we live by the law of desire it will make us feel this is not enough then we go to second third fourth and it's an endless search until we are caught in a wide net of desire and become its slave or its victim so that's why it takes the form of desire but then a time come when we begin to feel ki no no this is not the right way perhaps so we go here have some satsang read some nice books and then we discover there is that one reality behind everything find that then all your pain suffering will be over see this is the recovery of consciousness from utter inconscience taking place then it that one becomes an idea in the mind there again separativeness comes as we have said my idea of god is the only idea of god my idea of truth is the only idea of truth often people say i am living for truth everybody is a warrior of truth and if you ask what is truth they will have a standard definition the beauty of truth is you can't define it the moment you define it it's limiting it because truth is infinite but the mind starts entering into all these uh, ideas and ideologies so again there is pain lot of pain occurs at the mental level there people who are so harassed because what they believe in that is not getting its proper place according to them they believe that my idea is the best idea it must govern the world and when it doesn't happen especially when it gets hit back then there is so much intense suffering they become angry they become afraid see suffering at every level and then this is the ego so there is the desire ignorance hunger desire now the ego self cause of pain and then there comes a time one says i am just playing the fool with myself or perhaps god is playing fool with me <laughs> there is a beautiful aphorism of shorbindo the difference between man and god man plays the fool in season and out of season <laughs> god plays the fool only in season he allows that okay you are fooling me you think you are fooling me all right proceed this way but he knows now the season is over you are fool fool it's no more april now i am going to give my stroke and man continues to play the fool as if he can fool god and there comes a time when the ego gets broken then there is another pain what i cherished that is broken but it is being broken because we can rise higher so what is the cure now in the evolutionary process the first is cure is the 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 cure is oneness but first we discover it beyond the ego self beyond the dividing mind beyond the desired self if we remain stuck there we cannot discover it having gone beyond it we live in a spontaneous delight that's how the ishopanishad puts it gives a very simple formula and if we live like that life can be so beautiful says ishavasyam idam sarvam yatkinche jagatyam jagat you're not mine you're god's i am not yours i am god's but we are together 
Life is beautiful. <laughs> the moment it is, you are mine and I am yours and God is there for both of us to serve us. Then there is a problem starts. He may play the fool in season. And one may feel, ah, he is so kind. He is helping us. Who knows? He has forgotten us for the moment. But when the time comes, we begin to realize that we all belong to the divine. Everything belongs to the divine. Wealth belongs to the divine. Name and fame belong to the divine. House belongs to the divine. Everything belongs to the divine. Intelligence belongs to the divine. Feelings belong to the divine. Life, impulse, body, all belongs to the divine. So a new law begins to operate. Now we escape all this karma law and all this. And we begin to be governed by the law of oneness. That's why all teachers speak about three levels at which the law operates. One is just the law. And Shurvinda puts it, the law, call it karma or whatever. Karma, there is only a relative degree of freedom. We are pushed by ignorance and unconsciousness. And if we are pushed by ignorance and unconsciousness, it's not that because we did something, it's because we were unconscious. Because we did something, then there is no remedy. I did something in past life, I did something just now. Oops, I can only be guilty. That's why when mother was asked, what is the way when you have done something which you feel you should not have done, uh, should I go and say sorry to the person, seek forgiveness from the Lord Almighty? <laughs> mother says, all this is not required. What is required is discover the real causes, grow conscious. That's all that is required. Life is about that. When I grow conscious, I, re I realize, you see so many times it happens. You have said a harsh word and you feel you shouldn't have said that. And then you just go and say sorry. And sometimes some people are very smart. So they say, okay, I am saying sorry. If they say many number of times, be careful. If they say sorry, 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 it means he has taken advance, given advance for nine times again <laughs> doing the mischief. <laughs> One sorry is enough, you know, but even that's not required. What is required is, and if somebody comes and says sorry, the right response should not be, oh, I got, you don't know how to behave, I forgive you, oh my God, taking a very superior position, huh? I forgive you. Uh, no, no. It's only that, you know, we should live life more consciously. Maybe you spoke these words in a state of anger. And you know, anger creates confusion. We can say that to the other person. It will help. There is compassion in it. And this compassion, this is what compassion is about. Compassion is about understanding the real causes. And becoming aware, myself and others. I understand you were angry. That's all that requires to be said. And the person understands that, yes, basically anger. If he asks further, then give a discourse on how to overcome anger. <laughs> Not otherwise. Otherwise, he'll be more angry. You are giving me jnana which I don't need. But this is the... See, these anger and all are born out of this state of division. So, there is the law which operates when we live in a state of division. Born out of ignorance, separativeness, inconscient. All of them is a single package. And this is applied at every level. At the level of the mind, it takes this particular form of my idea, my ideology. And two people of different ideas and ideologies can suffer so much simply because they think differently. Sometimes it's an advantage if you speak different language. Because even if the other person is cursing you, you won't know. You will say thank you, thank you, thank you. 
But I know people even recently, during the Russia-Ukraine war, they separated. Who loved each other like anything. I mean, before the war began, they wrote to me, we are so fortunate, mother's grace, we have found each other, etc. I said, this is so wonderful. On the same path, turn towards mother and Shurabindu. Then after one year, after the war, we have decided to separate. <laughs> what happened? She is with Russia and I am with Ukraine. I said, thank For God's sake, you have your viewpoint. You have a right to have your viewpoint. The greater truth is your journey together, you know. But this has happened. And see how much pain, suffering, it can generate that it can rupture. A so-called bond which was apparently rooted in something divine. So you see, this... At the level of mind, how does oneness operate? Oneness is not everything is same. How are we freed from the divisive mind into a state of oneness in the mind? It means that behind every idea, we realize the truth behind it. The person is doing it in ignorance. In Indian thought, there have been certain ways. For example, there was a time when the believers of Vishnu and the believers of Shiva would fight. So there would be a um, fight between Shaivites and Vaishnavites. See how they reconciled. Just giving one thought. You see the Ramayana. Ramayana is the story of Vishnu on earth. Who is narrating it? Shiva. Shiva is Easter Devta of Rama. And Rama is Easter Devta of Shiva. So these were tales through which they reconciled and today it's all like, yes, every worshipper of Shiva is, uh, is very cool about Jai Hanuman and Jai Shri Ram and vice versa. So there are ways, this is about religious differences and of course the Vedas speak about Ekam Sad, Vipra Vadanti. Similarly with ideologies, when somebody asks Shurabindo, what do you think about modern societies, capitalism and communism etc. He says, my ideas are too very different and neither capitalism nor communism or socialism, they hold the truth. Each is a partial facet. Democracy has a truth behind it, but so has even dictatorship a truth behind it. It's so strange. Capitalism has a truth behind it and so has communism and socialism a truth behind it. I'm sorry for using that two together, I mean from a certain standpoint. So when we discover this truth and we understand the distortions, then there is peace in the mind. We don't condemn people, we see that they are limited, they are not able to understand. And if possible, we help them touch that base. And if they don't want, they go their own way. Because fighting won't help, they have taken very strong positions. So that's oneness in the mind, oneness in the heart. Core is love. But this love can take many forms. A mother's love can take the form of forcibly sending the child to the school even if he is crying. A doctor's love, a surgeon's love can take the form of using a scalpel and cutting the body of a patient who is who needs to be, even amputing a limb. Is that not love? Who would say, you don't love me, you have done this to me? He will say, I want to save you. Doctor's love can even take the form of isolating someone, quarantining someone from all the rest. However painful it may be because he has to think of the larger community at large. 
so there is love behind often i have people who come and speak of trauma and everything so i tell them okay fine what happened and to cut a long story short i try to not just relive and delete that's what we do no understanding it in a new perspective i had a child uh, a girl who was uh, a little wayward and parents were got very aggressive especially the mother and the child wanted to be in hostel and sector sector and um, they were physically aggressive which is something obviously and normally you would separate the child from the parent and think this is going to cure the problem this is not going to cure the problem so i asked the child took through a process and then i asked the child ultimately what do you think is behind your mother and father's aggression ultimately the child came up himself herself she said i know they love me i said okay hold on we'll keep that as a base now we will speak about it's a distorted expression of love over protectiveness over intelligence maybe they are themselves had this kind of experience habitually they don't know other ways to deal with things but deep behind when you discover love it can be so healing people suffer because they believe that we have been traumatized and tormented when you discover i'm not saying every time there is love but many times we will see people get angry with each other they get cross they separate what is compassion but to see that love behind it has taken a vicious form of jealousy it has taken a vicious form of possessiveness which is not good which is not healthy agreed but first see the base oneness is that love this is taken this form when we discover the base we can heal it how we can heal it we know this person needs love this is his problem it has taken the form of hunger desire hate jealousies so what do you do you give that pure drop of love it doesn't mean you start behaving to satisfy the other person or this person but you give that pure drop it has a healing effect that is what the abyss is missing that's why savitri tells death my love is not a hunger of the heart even heart can have a hunger i want i want i want same it's the abyss and it can never be fulfilled by any human means try it how much ever it cannot be because its hunger is for the infinite no human being no number of human beings can ever fill that abyss but one drop of divine love can act like a magic it can start the healing process there are people i know personally i know who it why why is why does it happen that they have been traumatized and they have felt so deeply alone and everything and they have i am talking about coming here to the mother i am sure it would have happened in different ways to the divine i know people going to krishna or christ it would happen something similar and suddenly they feel inwardly as if at some fundamental level they have been healed because they've been touched by the divine love somewhere they have opened and been touched by it yes by habit things will return but because they have tasted and touched it this will return also again and again till ultimately this will take over and all the rest will be fade into the background same with life so weak incapacitated and therefore it suffers because it cannot meet the challenges of life there are people who cannot go out uh, 
they say, oh, this vibration is affecting me, that vibration is affecting me. Ultimately, their own vibration starts <laughs> affecting them <laughs> because they are carrying themselves everywhere. So when people start saying, I cannot go out, this vibration, that vibration, <laughs> check your own vibration, <laughs> maybe. You, you are carrying yourself everywhere, which you are probably projecting in the atmosphere and it is bouncing back and you believe it's so that person. It may not be that, but this is what is called as projecting. It's a very well-known thing in psychology that we project our own inner state on the other person. And that's why the mother says the world is a mirror. We keep throwing anger, anger keeps returning to us and we say this person is bad, that person is bad, ultimately everybody is bad. Till one day somebody says, have you looked inside? <laughs> Maybe the problem is there and you need to, you know, if all the cars are coming from the other side, probably you are on the wrong side of the lane. <laughs> so, Get your eyes chested. So, uh, anyway, so this life force which reacts to everything with anger, fear, instead of a natural trust, building bonds with this creation in all its variety, not annulling the differences. Differences are divine. Differentiation is divine. Differences, I mean differentiations. Uniqueness is divine. Distinctiveness is divine. Separativeness is not divine. There is nothing that exists for its own sake and by its own sake. It is a physical impossibility. Often people say that I want to shut myself in a room. I said, whom all will you shut yourself from? Will you have food or no? Yeah, I'll have food. Somebody will keep it for me. I said, where will the food come from? So you will ultimately go back to the fields, the farmer, the sun, the earth. Everything has provided the food for you. And you don't want to give anything to this world? What kind of a selfish sadhana is this? You don't want to give anything. Because you have shut yourself in a room and you are receiving everything. It's only when you can give and pour on the world, even while being in a room or a mountain top, that you can take that approach. That's how Sri says. That a yogi sitting on mountain top is creating revolutions. He himself and the mother... Then you can speak of these things. But there are people who ultimately shut themselves in. Why? Because life force is not in a state of oneness, state of extreme division. Some simple remedies. And because of that it gets pained. People start getting aches and pains for everything. They go out into the cold weather and they say, oh, weather is too cold. Then they go out into the hot sun, they again have problem. They go out into the rain, they have a problem. They go out in the winter and of course there is problem. So once somebody was asking me, which season you enjoy? I said, I enjoy every season. You celebrate every season. Dance in the rain. In cold season, wear a nice jacket, sit near the fire, have some nice gajar ka halwa. <laughs> Summer, it's so beautiful. You sweat, then take a bath. Mother said, make friends with the sun. What is it? Our life force is reaching out to the creation. There is a poetry in creation, in nature. Autumn has its own poetry. Summer has its own poetry. Shivindu described this so beautifully in Savitri, in Book 4, Canto 1. Everything brings a message. Spring, of course, everybody likes. So when we look at creation this way, then we begin to live in a oneness of life. Otherwise, we go from one place to another, we fall sick. Why? Oh, that food doesn't suit me. That air doesn't suit me. That water doesn't suit me. <laughs> and ultimately they stop traveling. 
That's why one must travel. Why? It brings wideness, suppleness and life force. You communicate with plants, you discover the oneness. Animal world, you discover that there is the same... It's so beautiful to see sometimes just dogs gambling with each other. And it's such a pleasant sight. Simply to see nature, creation, you know, trees, how mother speaks of cherry blossom tree in which is the remedy for the diseases of the spring. Just sitting below a tree, talking to a tree, you have a lot of pain, don't unburden on people. After some time they may be in shut off mode. If you are talking on phone, they may be on their WhatsApp, chatting with somebody and you think you are talking to them. Be careful, huh? And after some time you say, are you listening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am listening. <laughs> but you can talk to the world around, everything, to the breeze. So much. So oneness in life. When we discover behind all of them, there is a very beautiful line, passage in Savitri in book 1, canto 1. All grew a consecration and a ride. The air was a vibrant link between earth and heaven. The winds were a hymenal chant, the mantras. And fragrance of the earth is rising through the trees, it's rising to the sky in an offering to the sun. How beautiful that scene is. When you look at this, every day you are witnessing a yagna. See? Instead of incense, all the fragrance of the flowers is rising. And when there is no fragrance, it's autumn, they are concentrated. No more agarbattis, they have gone inside. We can deal with nature as something living and conscious and then it comes to the body finally that's where the ultimate challenge lies if these three levels the mind the heart the life it's relatively easier but after having discovered the divine only when we have discovered the oneness then one one then oneness oneness means seeing the divine one divine everywhere and in everything not just as a witness but as a dynamic presence how he is playing with life, with creation. Then life becomes a play. Kuru Shetra becomes a Krida Shetra. Vrindavan. That's how you know. You see how Sri Krishna reveals to Sri Aurobindo. I am in the lawyer. I am in the lawyer who is speaking against you also. I am also sitting over the head of the judge. See me dancing over his head. And Sri is quiet. Then the mind is quiet. There is no more that pain, anguish, turbulence. Torture. And this can go even to the level of the body. It's very difficult, but there are people who have done it. Even short of transformation, the body, one way is one can withdraw from all that is painful into the zone of one. But other is oneness. One, you are temporarily safe. You are withdrawn, like traditional yoga, away from all this turbulence. The other is oneness, operating in all these layers. So physically, what happens? One can live in that state. Even physically there have been instances. This is the instance of the uh, sick gurus. His, his children were asked to be converted by the Mughals. And they refused. He said, if you convert just me, the entire community will agree to be converted. He tries everything. Finally he says, I am going to bury your children alive. Make you sit on a hot plate, roast And he refuses. Then he tries to bury their children alive. And you know what happens when the children come and embrace him? What does he say? He doesn't cry. He says the chant of the Sikh Gurus. 
वाहे गुरु दी की फतेह वाहे गुरु दी का खालसा विच इज विच मीन्स दैट अल्टीमेटली द प्योर द डिवाइन द वन रिमेंबर ही मेलो नॉट वॉट दे मेड आउट ऑफ इट इन दिस सो कॉल्ड सिख सेपरेटिस्ट मूवमेंट दैट इज द डिस्टॉशन ऑफ अ ग्रेट ट्रूथ एंड देन दे गो थ्रू दैट प्रोसेस स्माइलिंगली पीपल हैव गॉन थ्रू इवन बिहेडिंग दैट वॉज द ओरिजिन ऑफ द सॉन्ग तेरी तलवार दे नीचे में नचियां करके थैयां थी आई डांस बिलो योर सोड विद ईच ड्रॉप ऑफ ब्लड आई से आई लव यू माई बिलावेड आई लव यू माई बिलावेड दैट्स द इमेज ऑफ काली नमुंड मालिनी and the great and the strong love her because they know that ego must be crucified so that the divine truth may be released so this is one but this is only the body not affecting us the body discovering its law of oneness is the yoga of transformation its grand culmination and the mother speaks about it at several levels she say why body is the last bastion because it is the first thing that emerges from the abyss matter so it has the full support of the inconscient it is the home it can enter through every pore that's how uh, there is a cryptic verse in the upanishad that there are nine doors through which the world enters and only one through which the yogin goes towards the divine plenty of gaps it has created through which it can enter and that's why you see some of the prayers badram karne bhi may you know all the holes they are sealing with something true and auspicious this was the origin of the prayer praying for all so that we can dwell in that spontaneous oneness but body still it is built in such a way that the gross physical body especially lives in division it is the last stronghold how much ever we may discover oneness inside your body my body it requires a tremendous inner development to say as mother said one day what is it does it matter whether it is my body or some other body or someone who went to nalnida to wish for on one's own body nalnida says you know your body her body my body they are one body first to discover the cosmos as one body and then each body each cell to live in a state of oneness so that they are ecstatic they have found what they ever wanted the need for food will go away all this is inevitable because all hunger comes from there even physical hunger sleep all this this long journey but they have opened the door paved the way when the body also begins to live in oneness then it is rescued from separateness and there is no more pain and those who are meant to do this work bear the pain of creation on themselves because body is the last bedrock of pain it's very difficult nerves through nerves the whole world enters and then there is pain and then eventually the more we discover the oneness the pain vanishes even at the physical level mother speaks of an experience and that experience is just two little things then we'll stop the experience is that Uh, she says that two ways she experiences the body one is like uh, rigid outlines we may use the word particle or wave form and the other is almost like the quantum wave that it is something fluid and she says very interesting i went through a sharp edge of a table to see how does it affect 
But it was as if it goes and comes out. It doesn't affect. That's how one day man will discover that body which automatically heals. Anything that you, even if you cut it, it will automatically, because it's oneness. That which is separate you can cut, destroy. But that which is living with the spirit of oneness, whatever forces will come, adverse forces, he says, they will automatically change because its vibration will be the vibration of love which transforms them. That's what the mother says that, you know, immunity will be spontaneous in the supramental body. Whatever enters, automatically because the body is nothing else but a expression, physical expression and manifestation of that love which takes in and transmutes. So this is the long journey and at different levels we can experience it. So to say in brief, conclude, pain is the sign of ignorance, pain is the sign of unconsciousness, pain is the signs of, sign of extreme separation at whatever level we are experiencing, not from this person or that person but from the divine. We think that this person or that object will fill it and temporarily it does. But abyss, hunger of the abyss is for infinite. And pain also emerges when creation is being pulled out of inertia. As Shubhinda says, pain is the hand of nature sculpturing man. Why? Because inconscience is amorphous. It doesn't like, so we have to keep the distinctness but abolish separateness. That is the challenge. This is the oneness where we extinguish all sense of distinction and differentiation. But here it is keeping the distinctiveness but abolishing the separation. That is a great challenge. That's what Shubhinda says. Individual is one of the terms and then harmonizing it with the all. That's why it takes time to be in this world and yet be free from the law of pain. So we are chiseled and what is that chiseling? Some of us have very sharp edges, we know it. We have thorns, big thorns. Inside is a flower. I know the flower inside but others come in contact unfortunately with the thorn. And I keep telling them, you don't see my beauty, I am flower. And he says, yes, I know but the moment I try to reach that beauty, my hand is pierced. My heart is pierced because thorns. So this is the normal average state. To release this flower, these are the thorns of defense when we live in separateness. What does the divine do? Trims them. If it is a hard material, chips it. If the material is soft, gentle, he molds it gently. When we live in tamas, we offer a very hard material and the law of pain, the law of ignorance, that inflicts us. When we live in rajas, then there is certain degree of adjustment, sukh and dukh. And when we live in sattva, then we are offering a good material and it can be molded without much pain. So pain is also an evolutionary necessity. Every time we move out of a comfort zone towards a greater wideness, its journey is towards wideness, there will be pain. Because the ultimate goal is oneness. So if we are living in a very narrow hole, it is going to take lot of pain to arrive there. Every step will be painful. And if we are living already in a certain degree of wideness, then oneness is just one 
step away. A step and all is sky and God. So I'll stop here. If there is any know, questions, we can take it up. Any questions? I think here also, uh, online audience or anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. What are the treatments nowadays in oxygen? In the end of life period? End of life. Okay. So I'll just uh, give you a um, way of looking at it and what can be done. So as I understand what treatment at the end of life, is that what you are basically implying? Fundamentally, alright. So again, if we go by looking at things with sharp division, we see life and we see death. And we either want to prolong life somehow or we want to send the person packing as soon as possible. So on one side we have very extreme life support systems or on the other side, euthanasia. But this is a divisive way of looking at it. Life, death, rebirth are a single continuum. That's how Shubhendra describes life, death, death, life. They seem opposites. But death is another mode of life. It's a chapter in the journey of life. It's a passage for life. Death is a stair, a stumbling stride. The soul must take a great defeat, pregnant with victory. So what does it mean? Make the transition beautiful. It's not end. See, that's why in the Indian setting, because at one point it was inbuilt. Now it has gone. Now we are the same ventilators, this, that. But I have seen this, grown up in, in a you know, small village in India, and we used to accept somebody is dying. So what were we doing? Putting some Ganga Jal, playing some mantras putting some tulsi leaf and I feel it was a much more wiser way within the home surroundings. Why do we take to the hospital? Believing some magic will happen. There, no magic is going to happen. The only magic will be that the person is likely to be very miserable because he is in suddenly in environment where, uh, you know, it's a very unusual environment and then, you know, we have all those... Uh, Faces you don't know. I mean, this is the time you have to concentrate and go within. That's how the Gita says that the transition should be a state of inwardness and concentration. And then on top of it, the ventilator. Then the problem is money. Then the problem is when to switch off. All these dilemmas. Unfortunately, we are caught now in a double trap. If we don't do it, people may tell us things. But if we really understand, we understand it as a passage. I understand a youngster, yes, you may try to do things. But after a certain point, when a person has lived a certain degree, when the body organs are anyways failing or have failed, why prolong the misery? Make it a transition. So the transition can be made smooth. So mantras, music, whispering in the ears. That's how I, when my mother was transiting. Mama, we all love you and we are fine, we are happy. Thank you for doing all that you have done for us. Now go safely and happily on your way.
He sent my mom over and she literally withdrew when I said that. I said, concentrate now on the divine. Don't be attached to us. So make the transition beautiful. It's a journey towards something beautiful and better and greater. This should be there at the back of the mind. If that state is there, then music, mantras, right words, few right words, maybe just holding the hand and then caressing and then letting. I've done this also to a patient. It's so beautiful. And the person knows that, yes, now I must go. Inwardly I am communicating because the person is in coma. Does I believe that thoughts are something they receive. All is good. Peace, peace, peace. And then when the person is transiting, again, there is a moment when we on earth, as earthlings with a body, can pray and send them thoughts of love. But trying to somehow relieve by all kinds of medication people use. Opia, what is that? Morphine, which is, should not be used. Shivita says it stuns the system. It blunts the consciousness. It makes it so heavy that inwardly when you leave, probably a lot of experiences are left behind. So the transit should be such that person carries all his baggage, luggage, all that he has gathered, beautiful things, sweet things. Ultimately, they will only remain in the side psychic memory and goes beautifully that's how I feel one should treat those who are departing not as a end and that other but as a wave continuum not as separate and distinct during the last days I even tell people think about what you would like to be future yeah uh, I, I uh, intentionally uh, endless treatment with morphine like in the new with David Ganesha you are mentioning but now I am I can it's another way of pregnancy yes yes but what about the, the people who are experiencing high level of pain yes yeah no, you don't... Yeah, I got that. It's my everyday bread and butter. So, we don't say you have got to die. That we never say. We don't prognosticate. We soothe. There was a beautiful prayer that I read. Um, but somebody had given me when I passed out of my medical school in Pune. And it's something which I have always followed as uh, a background to sometimes cure. To often relieve and to always comfort. See, I can give painkillers, okay, we, give, we all give, but as you said, high degree of pain, after all, to go to an extent that, okay, now I'll give morphine, that I would say, don't do it. Pain is there, comfort. There's so much we can comfort, because every pain has this psychological component, which can amplify, which can minimize it. So my focus is on the psychological component. And when the psychological component, along with that, there is a spiritual component. So I keep focusing towards that. Given my say, wherever, and there are some places which follow this kind of process, that focus on the spiritual component. Think about mother. Say, ma, ma, ma. I have seen people transit like that. They are in pain. And therefore, all the more they turn inside some, at some point of time, 
and it's pity. You feel pity. Pity is you are caught in that vibration. You have to be very strong not to, uh, you know, get into that impulse of giving morphine. So if we do that, a time will come when there will be a relief or a transition will take place. It may be a little long period. Well, that's how life is today. If we have not lived a life, uh, turn toward the one at the passing, but perhaps that's an opportunity. As they say, as many times you can remember, you have put into your account permanent divine development bank, private limited and public enterprise. So put the name of God in your hundi with each pain. <laughs> and there is a way people have said, I have seen people depart like that. Hey Krishna, hey Krishna, hey Krishna. I have seen people <laughs> breathing difficulty and <gasps> Krishna and he is so beautiful. I have seen somebody depart with extreme pain who refused morphine and all within the ashram. And the person for three days, three nights, we, I never imagined it will go on for so long. Om Anandamai, Chaitanyamai, Satyamai, Parme. Toward the end it was just, Oh Ma, Oh Ma. Because one, but we knew that intent is this. It's a beautiful departure. So, but we should not get caught by that, uh, trapped by that sight of pain, suffering, and start pitying. Compassion is different. So, I would rather be compassionate than pity. Okay. So, shall we? Yeah. And of course, as always, you can put in that. Uh, chat, uh, whatsapp uh, group, any questions further can be put in that. Separate group is there, no? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Please feel free to put your questions there. Uh, Anuruddha, my, since the topic is that, my father-in-law was suffering from brain tumor, end stage brain tumor. And towards the end of uh, his life, he knew that it was the end we chose not to take him to the hospital and he was on the bed. So what Arunda was sharing is also, I think, a test of our resilience and yeah. grounding because if I am not detached and spiritually grounded within, then immediately that urge that, oh, what should I do, what should I do? And we saw him for three days dropping from his mouth, which is a very sad sight to see again and again every day. And praying that he can't do anything here. And actually, uh, we were all praying, we all had spiritual backdrop, whatever, towards the mother. And we, one of my relatives also did some part in front of him while he was totally unconscious, just trotting from the mountain alive. And he suddenly, it was so such a smooth passing away that he also had, because none of us were panicking and he passed away at home. And uh, my Husband and my sister-in-law were there, but they were they had gone out of house, and he passed away when I was there with him. So they called me in the in between from the market, and I didn't tell them that he has passed away because I didn't want to make them panic or anything. And when they came back, then I told them that Papa is gone, and they again my sister-in-law panicked a little bit. You tell me earlier, I said, what could you have done? He was already gone. So you better finish your task and come back. And so it was very smooth delivery just because I think that also we did not panic that oh he's talking, what should we do, how will we, you know. 
So also there are two things which I may add to that experience since you are mentioning. One is, it is not really detachment, it is love. Because to be attached and therefore rush into ventilatory systems is really not a good thing in, in my especially when organs are failing, there is a certain age, then, you know, they have, one has to, because that kind of attachment will lead to prolongation of misery. That's one part. Uh, then you have dilemmas. Youth, anesia, all this starts, you know, entering the head, which is not a good thing, because you, you have no right to take away anybody's life. Uh, second is that, along with that, sometimes we feel if we are not doing something physically, we are not doing anything. But we are doing. There is so much we can do, other than simply taking to a hospital. Which is what you were doing. And that's important. Because it's not going to be the end. It's a journey which continues. So send him with love. Send him with care. Send him with the feeling that, well, we can take care of ourselves. For a parent, what do the parents want ultimately? That children are like, okay, they are happy, they are healthy, they are strong and they have love. That's all they require. So, and when he was a little conscious, I used to ask him, Papa, are you ready to cross over? Yeah. And at that time of point of time, he used to speak still. And he said, uh, it's not that easy. Yeah. Although he had lost all consciousness, but he still said it's not that easy. And after some time, then I asked him, are you now ready? Then he would not be able to speak. He had lost his, uh, lost his uh, what he was spe